should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, hump day, the 30th of August. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. And as mentioned, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. There's a lot of discussion and, and uh, conversation going on, especially on social media. I uh, hate to reference social media as if it is supposed to be the, the, the go-to thing, especially for credible resources, but... But, you know, some things that people have been posting have either been bothering me or it's created a situation in which I have had some deep thoughts. And the conversation and discussion surrounding Hurricane Harvey in Texas, um, some of the stuff coming out is in, is uh, gross, I think is the best word to say it. And that would be people already talking about, you know, why why didn't people evacuate and why this or why that or even you know talking about Melania's heels when we really should be focused on the victims and people just needing our help so there's discussion like that and then there's also you know people chiming in about uh the uh, p- uh political decisions that the c- citizens of Texas have made that has resulted in a you know drastic cut in funding for stru- structural policies that might have been there to, per- to, to help with natural dis- disasters and such. And you know what I'm referring to, and I'm referring to plenty of the elected officials from Texas who voted against spending on something like this. When it, and uh, uh, some people have brought up, you know, that happened back when we talked about Hurricane Katrina. And then some people have come on my page to even criticize me for for asking people to donate money to Red Cross and said, you know, we have to be smarter. In all of this discussion, um, there is some truth to it. And some of it, I think that we need to relax and calm down and figure out how we come together to help Texas. Uh, but I think it's best to check in with people who are actually going through it or who are there and who are helping in whatever way that they can. So we have a special on the phone uh, today with us, a special guest on the phone. Before we get started, today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is Leah Lux, uh, author who has been on the show before, and um, you might remember when we had a show that discussed uh, uh, an LGBTQ person who had left a, a Hasidic Jewish community. Leah has lived or grew up in Texas and is there now and can tell us what's going on for the most part, or at least what ha- she's been experiencing. Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm here. You are the the you know the first time we had you on we talked about uncovered your book and um you know just you telling personal stories of leaving a Hasidic Jewish community and coming out and now you're on the show unfortunately as one of the residents that have been affected by Hurricane Harvey to some point talk to us kind of what your personal situation is right now uh, I live about five minutes from downtown Houston, so I'm right in the center. But people, and uh, and I'm feeling the guilt of having being in a, a pocket area that didn't get flooded. Um, and we, although we were working very, very hard to prepare for that, um, also uh, to to being close to downtown is a narrow and multi-story home, so we knew that we could always go up to the third floor. Um, but 
it also put us right in the center of things, so to speak. Um, all of my friends are very distributed around the city. In, in storms in past years, they've tended to dump in one area or the other. And um, everybody who buys homes looks at the floodplain and, um, and the, and the uh, flood history because they expect it to repeat itself. Nothing repeated itself in Harvey. <laughs> So mm-hmm. many, many, many people are flooded out um, who, um, uh, who they're, you know, in areas that haven't flooded in the past. So the president, you know, has uh, been tweeting that initially, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I know, <laughs> right. Um, but he's been tweeting that, that at least his administration has reacted the, the best way possible, and he's sending a ton of support. He had just visited uh, Corpus Christi and, uh, you know, all that good stuff from, from that point of view. If you're just reading his tweets, then you think that everything's great and dandy. But what is your perspective? Well, uh, well my perspective, first of all, is that nobody wanted him to come here. Um, the, 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 everything was going very, very well because it's a well-oiled machine in emergency response. And because this is, Houston is a very, very, um, amazing city. It's the, um, uh, it's ethnically the most diverse city in the country. It surpassed New York a long time ago. It's incredibly uh, uh, vast, but also we were really, really came together. The emergency response here was unbelievable, uh, and it was not due to our president. It was already in place. It's the one leader that really made a huge difference was our mayor, Sir Sylvester Turner, who has been a voice of reason and calm um, all the way through. It's incredible right now that there hasn't been looting, there haven't been more people that died. Um, like 1,800 died when Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, and I think we've had about eight that have died here. Um, and this is a disaster on a much, much larger scope. Uh, no one wanted them to come. Uh, the, and uh, the biggest reason was that as, as, as much as the response was good here, we didn't have resources that we needed. U.S. Coast Guard came in, set up a command center with helicopters. We needed a helicopter uh, rescue because of flooding, and they brought five. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I, I have to clarify, uh, one of the counties affected, the central county in Houston, only one of many counties affected is the third most populous in the United States. So we're, you know, all told, the total um, population affected by the storm was more than 10 million. They brought five helicopters. We didn't, uh, we had a serious problem of, you know, lack of um, security and resources. We didn't want any of that diverted for a photo op. It wasn't the time. Thank you for that, because uh, apparently to the president, it was a great crowd who came came out to to, to see him, to talk to him. I, I can't even believe that tweet. But but you brought up the mayor and the mayor of Houston, and, and a lot of people have been saying that he has been their hero. And one of the reasons why is, you know, he came out publicly and vo- to be vocal about the fact that he would protect any undocumented person affected by the hurricane to who was seeking refuge and or shelter and you know before the the storm hit really 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 bad um uh, to the point that it was considered level four the ice director I, I if i if i'm correct about it or someone of an official from ice had said that they would keep they would keep uh, the uh, the borders protected, and they would keep going with um, you know any anybody basically seeking uh, any refuge shelter who was undocumented. They would continue to deport. Is that right? Do you know? Um, the may that's not the beginning of it. This really started like about uh, five minutes after the pre- our current uh, person that's in the pre- holding the presidential office was elected, so to speak. Um, there were big rallies in Houston, and the mayor addressed the rally the rallies at that point and said, "We do not profile people in the city. We've never done it before, and it's not going to happen on my watch." Um, this is something uh, I, I had noticed for quite some time um, that there I'd never um, something that I've watched because I've done a lot of work with refugees and immigrants in the city. Something I haven't discussed with you. But uh, I had never heard of any sweeps or or or, uh, or 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 checkpoints set up or anything like that in Houston. And Houston 
is like there was a point. Uh, Houston's like a beacon on the horizon for the uh, for the people that are never going to stop streaming over our southern border. Um, and I think actually that's a huge, huge part of Houston's incredible economic dominance in in the country. We have this never-ending influx of excellent, very eager, hardworking labor. Um, uh, they're they're uh, you know if, if you if you walk, leave your home and you walk a thousand miles to go start your life again in another city, you're a person with a lot of. Um, uh, focus and determination, and that can be a really good gift to an economy. So mm-hmm. they've never profiled, and that's the, it's, it's a long tradition, ex- except that they never spoke about it on purpose. Mm-hmm. So the, the the mayor has broken that um, tradition by speaking publicly about it. And and there have been ice, ice uh, checkpoints set up at, at various times in the city since the president was elected. Um, but they got no support from the police department, and they kind of went away. Um, I don't know if the, if the uh, mayor really could follow through on his promise to personally defend anybody who got um, picked up in a in a shelter. Mm-hmm. But I kind of I kind of doubt that would happen. We've got ten thousand people just in the George R. Brown Convention Center right now, um, and people are pre- too busy to deal with that kind of thing. So you want to hope that they get lost in the crowd. That's all I can say. Let's talk about the elected officials of Texas. Um, man, I can go a couple, you know, directions <laughs> with this, but let's talk about the fact that you know, just uh, uh, by September first of this. Well, I guess where we are, you know, this is like literally in a couple days, there is a bill, uh, House Bill seventeen seventy four becomes law in Texas, which basically makes it a lot harder for homeowners. Um, to to uh, apply for or or aid or basically get their insurance money, you know, for any for things like this, um, kind you know, and and this is all your perspective. I totally get it, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on why would they? Well, let's not even answer why, but this is horrible. Now that so many people are affected by a natural disaster, there are two different states of Texas. One is all the municipal areas, every one of which has uh, a Democratic mayor, um, where millions and millions of people are concentrated in some of our nation's biggest or fastest-growing cities, every one of which carried Obama in the last couple of elections, um, I mean, in both uh, both of his elections, um, versus the rest of this vast, vast state. Now, understand, if I get in the car and I drive a beeline to where you are in California, the halfway point is still in Texas. Um, that's, like, hard to wrap your head around. And there are hundreds of counties, many of them sparsely populated. Everyone has a representative in the state legislature. So there's a constant battle between the state legislature and the cities um, in exactly issues like this. Um, that the fact that the, that September 1 deadline is looming has got a lot of people on social media panicked and they're pinging back and forth and saying, get, you know, get your claims in now. But these claims are really going to be under flood insurance, not under homeowners by a march. And that, <laughs> ironically, is federally protected. So um, I hope they won't have a problem. But, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. if they do, that will be one of many. But that, that, that's not fake news. Like, that actually... <laughs> <laughs> that was a bill that was passed, um, but just to show just the failure of elected officials. Now let's move on to the fact that, uh, you know, during uh, Han- Hurricane Sandy, that there were at least 15 te- Texas Republican uh, congressmen who voted for budget cuts. Um, <laughs> yeah, for, for things like this aid for natural disaster or aid for Hurricane Sandy. And so now... Uh, you know, Texas is going to need the supplemental aid, and, and it's probably going to be in the billions. As a resident or a Texan yourself, how does this make you feel? Um, we're kind of used to this kind of irony, and we laugh about it a lot. <laughs> um, we know that um, they'll they'll posture at the national level and vote against any kind of quote-unquote frivolous spending, but when there's uh, a disaster in Texas, They'll be very quick to apply for federal funds for natural disasters. I mean, this is this kind of contradiction is a contradiction we live with that we're 
were very, very um, familiar with. Mm. Um, I, I mean, my concern right now is much, much more um, the total lack of focus on infrastructure. Um, there's only posturing about it. You see, um, we have two enormous reservoirs. I don't know if you remember, if we go back to, I'm, I'm pulling you over to the natural disaster thing, excuse me, but when Katrina hit um, New Orleans, which is a fraction of the size of Houston, um, it, they would have gotten through it. Um, it would have, there would have been a lot of damage, but they would have gotten through it if the levees hadn't broken. Um, New Orleans is low, it's close to the coast, and it's reclaimed marshland, and they have uh, they basically sorted all the water up, used it as water reservoirs, and built up levees. A levee is a way of building up the, the natural bank um, to keep the water in, and those, those levees all broke. So the, the city was doubly and triply flooded by water that was already on the ground. Um, that's when it was a disaster. Well, one of our levees broke yesterday over the Brazos River, and they had instant mandatory evacuation of the entire county, and people died. And um, we have these two enormous reservoirs, and the Army Corps of Engineers saw that the dams were old, they weren't in good shape, and they were going to break. So they uh, did something they've never done, it's ever been done here before. They did a release of water from into the already completely flooded uh, bayou system. I mean, you know, some of those tributaries were 20 times their width and had already completely inundated, like, by 8 and 10 feet, um, streets on either side and homes. And yet they did a release into them because they knew that if they didn't do a controlled release, the dams would burst and we'd have probably the biggest disaster that ever hit a city in the United States in its history. Um, and those levees are, I mean, those, those reservoirs are sitting completely filled at the top right now with millions and millions of pounds of pressure on those dams that are still holding, but um, they, they can't, we don't know how long they're going to hold. Um, is the water going to go down before the dam bursts, or will the dam hold until they can, uh, can, they can release a little at a time enough that, um, you know, a lot more people aren't going to get killed. I mean, as I'm speaking to you, people are still getting rescued by boats from the release, these water releases. The water, the rain stopped last night, but the water was still, is still rising in, in areas around those uh, reservoirs because they have to keep um, releasing the water. Mm -hmm. So we're teetering, and this is an infrastructure problem that we still, we won't know if we're out of the woods for a couple of days. Right, right. Um, well, thank you right. so much for that that analysis. I mean, I mean, you know, because we're not there, and so it, while we're reading all these headlines, it's great to to hear the perspective of a resident there of what actually is the word wrong, uh, or or what needs help, or where the focus should be. You were going to say something before I interrupted you. Well, I was going to bring it back to those congressmen that probably would vote against spending money on infrastructure because right. they would expect the money to come from corporate or, or private donations or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point, I think, where we, we know better than to expect money to trickle down um, to, to repair these things. That's too, even, after, even when money does get allocated, mm -hmm. um, how much of it actually reaches its source? I mean, great question. It's a great question. I, and I want to focus on that because I brought up something in the, the uh, introduction where people are, are arguing, basically, <laughs> kind of if we help, where is the money going? Uh, but let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about that. So don't go away. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest is on the phone with us, and that is Leah Lax, who is the author of Uncovered. We had her on uh, a while ago, actually, to talk about her book, of, and it's about leaving the Hasidic community and coming out. But today we're talking to Leah, who is a longtime uh, Texan who lives in Texas, just a, a few minutes from downtown Houston and talking about what's going on and kind of how this has personally affected her. So, Leah, right before the break, I had mentioned that, you know, lots of people are talking about how to help. How, how do we actually help if we're not living there? Is it giving to the Red Cross or is it giving to a different organization? Or what do you think is the best way to give, volunteer, and donate that actually is making a difference versus kind of, I guess, throwing money in the air and seeing where it lands? Um, I, and I, I can't speak for the Red Cross. It's a, you know, it's a huge multinational organization. When you give a donation, I do not know if you can earmark it specifically for Relief Fund in Houston. I know Red Cross has been pretty great, and a, a lot of they brought a lot of relief workers in from all over the country, so they're doing good. Um, our our mayor established a local relief fund with a guarantee that a hundred, and I believe him, that a hundred percent of it will go directly to work to taking care of the the needy, displaced people. Um, it's a Hurricane Harvey relief fund that uh, I believe. Oh, I'm going to have to find it on the next break, and then I'll tell you, but I believe that you can get the link on the City of Houston uh, um, uh, official website, Houston.gov, um, and that's the one that I've been encouraging people to donate to. But I, I want to say that, um, you know, you see all kinds of numbers in the, in the media about how many people are, are actually displaced, how many people are in need. Um, and they get those numbers apparently from the city, from, and the city gives them the numbers of, of people that were actually picked up by official rescue crews, um, by the police and fire department, Coast Guard, things like that. Um, but I, on the ground, I can tell you that for every single person that they picked up, there's probably 20 more that were rescued because the citizens rec- rescued each other. Um, a lot of people have boats. Anybody who has a boat or a big truck was out early. Um, lots of people took refuge in their friends' homes, et cetera. They, you know, they got out when they saw it coming, and um, they couldn't go far, but they found someone with, you know, a multi-story home. Um, I know many, many, many people that are housing um, other families, entire families in their home, and uh, and that are homeless at this point. So you have to kind of multiply those numbers in your head. <laughs> By a factor, quite a bit. Yeah. Right. I leave that for you to guess. I guess. Right. And and yeah. And I'm with you in terms of you know Red Cross and I. I think that what's coming out in the news is that they themselves are overwhelmed and so uh, overwhelmed in terms of like you know there's just so much help that is needed. 
Um, I'm hating the criticism that I'm hearing from people who aren't affected by Harvey talk about like, well, why did, you know, why are there so many people who need help and who didn't evacuate when they were told to do so? (laughs) That is really Um, disheartening to me. A disappointment. And, you know, as far as like just a fellow human, like I don't see why that's even a discussion. Well, look at it this way. Um, Back when Hurricane Rita a few years back was bearing down on Houston, it wasn't long after Katrina. And Houston had, uh, our, had just absorbed about 40,000 uh, 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 people from New Orleans, uh, refugees from Katrina. So we were gun-shy, and everyone got scared. Um, and the mayor told the city to evacuate. What happened instantly, but, uh, now, well, let me just pause that here. This is not New Orleans. I repeat, this is not New Orleans. Houston has three different um, loops and concentric circles. And the, the outer loop um, surrounds 2,200 square miles. So, and inside the outer loop live 6.5 million people. You try putting all those on the road. When uh, the mayor encouraged people to leave in Hurricane Rita, most of us didn't leave because we've been through this before. We know the drill, and we know how to how to prepare and make sure that we're going to be safe in it. We know where to go. Um, and yet, there was instantly such an unbelievable grid, gridlock on every road outside of the city, going outside of the city, that people got stranded. It, the, the, it, the, the traffic couldn't move. And um, my two sons got scared, and I wanted them safe, so I gave them my car. They were... Um, in that, uh, they got about 30 miles in eight hours. Um, other people were on the stranded out there 15 and 20 hours. Um, most of them ran out of gas, and there was no gasoline available uh, roadside. So people were stranded all over. The only thing that saved them is that Rita, uh, Hurricane Rita, because those things are unpredictable and capricious, turned away and did not hit Houston. If Rita had hit, all of those people would have been stranded in the elements as the hurricane arrived. It would have been an unbelievable disaster. And Mayor Turner knew that that would have been very, very bad advice in this case because the storm is much, much bigger. The storm is uh, over 100 miles wide. It's, it's you know, it's still... Uh, it, <laughs> It started in Corpus, right? I, I, let's make it really clear. Hurricane Harvey did not hit Houston. Her, all we got was the storm that spun off of it. We got one side of a much, much bigger storm. We didn't even have those high winds. We got a storm. We got a tropical storm, not a hurricane. Mm-hmm. But Mayor Turner understood that to order evacuation, um, that this storm was so unbelievably huge that result would be to put to tell his population to go out of shelter and into the elements where they got stranded in the face of that. He saved our, he saved lives by urging people to shelter in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that perspective. We're running out of time. I'm so thankful for you coming on the show and sharing you know, your experience and being there right now and giving us some uh, honesty and some truth. Uh, last question for you, what is next? Some people are, are pondering that for residents of Texas or, or Houstonians, really. Um, so what is next? What is next? Um, we're going beginning today, our first day of the sunshine, a, a long, slow, slow crawl back to hopefully at least where we've been. Downtown is dark. City Hall is dark. There's no electricity. There's Oh, who knows how many, many, many thousands of people that are homeless right now. Uh, uh, active boat evacuations are still going on. Um, we have a long, long way to go. Um, it, it'll be years, probably a couple of years, of people waiting in line to get the, the materials needed to rebuild their homes. Um, you know, that's the physical stuff that we're focused on right now. But what is what is next, I hope, is... Uh, is uh, is it that my dream is that our municipality will, as a as a group, will become much more politicized and work much harder 
to um, to make change at a greater level. Again, the mayor led that. I, I, I have to say here that the famous bathroom bill that everyone was screaming about in the Texas legislature, our mayor had a lot to do with destroying that. Um, he, he wrote letter after letter that he sent out to the media and publicized to millions of people, to every single member of the state legislature, explaining in detail why the very fact that it was they're only considering it had already caused our city to lose millions and millions of dollars in business. Well, um, and and challenged them, said, mm-hmm. my time is worth, this is the third time I'm writing you, my time is worth more than this, and I think yours is too. As a result, when they, it got to the House in a special session, the House refused to even consider it. They're embarrassed, and the bill died. Um, I hope as a result we will, our city will wake up even more so and, and attend to the political aspect of, of, uh, of our, not only our state legislature, but um, of, the, of the, the, the self-serving way that um, funds get distributed and, and insist that um, we take care of the things that need to be taken care of to protect us in the future. Leah, thank you so much for spending time, and uh, thank you for being my Facebook friend and connecting and, and <laughs> staying in touch. I do wish uh, everybody in in Houston sending love, sending prayers, and of course we'll be working in, in a lot of ways to fundraise, to, say, to send money, to send necessities, and know that uh, you know, you've got hearts in San Francisco. So thank you. It's a wonderful to speak with you again, Michelle. I've been following you and how your show's been growing and uh, this is just really great. Uh, I want to end it on a good note. The sun is shining. The sun is shining. And almost <laughs> nobody died. Everybody is okay. We've got two hands. We can do this. Oh, that is Take so awesome. Yourself. All right. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Don't go away. When we come back, we ha- we'll speak to Major Margaret Witt. And uh, if you know that name, then you know, you, you know your stuff. You know Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I think it's a perfect time to talk to Margaret, Margie, I should say, um, whose, whose landmark case ended up being what, what fought and defeated Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, and kind of broke it. So I think it's appropriate after the president announced that he wants to ban transgender military service members. So don't go away. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Uh, do what you can. It was so great to speak to Leah Lax in the first half of the show about what's going on in Houston. I know a lot of conversation is happening around social media and it's buzzing, but channel that energy and do something positive with it. Find a good way to to donate to the victims of uh, Hurricane Harvey, but in a way that feels good for you. The second half of the show, we are going to focus on, um, you know, the fact that, well, history does repeat itself in a lot of ways, especially here in this country. We, we kind of tend to do that. The president had announced that he he yes he's going to ban transgender military service members and at first it was just through a tweet and a lot of us you know who um uh don't take the president that seriously i mean i don't know how how do you take a a policy seriously when it's been tweeted out uh but he actually has been serious because now there's a directive from the white house uh to the pentagon to 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 enforce this tweet that the president um, has said. And so there's a lot of discussion about that. But before there was this tweet, there definitely was a policy called Don't Ask, Don't Tell that existed here in the United States. And so our next guest on the phone is Major Margaret Witt, who has a new book out called Tell, Love, Defiance, and the Military Trial at the Tipping Point for Gay Rights. Uh, which is it was kind of come out very very soon. But if you don't know uh, Margaret's story or Margie's story, we're going to tell it right now a little bit of it. But this landmark case that Margie was involved in definitely led to the uh, the death of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Let's welcome Major Margaret Witt to the show. Margie, Margie, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know where to start. I don't know if I want to just jump right into the, the heart of our discussion or I want to go through, you know, just you uh, walking us through the process of how you got to the landmark case. And the reason why I say that is because it's all included in the book. And sadly, I got the book like yesterday evening, so I didn't even get a chance to to speed read through it. Um, but I think, you know, especially because we've got a growing young audience uh, we definitely should walk through kind of, uh, you know, talking about you. So share with us, and it might this might feel redundant, uh, you know, or old, but but kind of let's let's go back to the very beginning. Let's talk about you as a youth, where you grew up, um, and uh, why join, you know, the military. Uh, well, I grew up in in Washington State uh, in the Puget Sound area, and um, had a wonderful childhood. And both of my parents were teachers. Um, I, my father was a, a World War II vet. Um, I was surrounded by military bases, and one of the things we always did was drive past McCord um, Air Force Base. And the whole game was that I would look for the big white plane with a red cross on the tail, and that was the airbag plane. And, and that was when I was a very young girl. And so that really stuck in my head, and I, I, I always thought, you know, that would be fantastic. What, what a great job. Never dreaming that I'd be able to do it. Um, and when I graduated from nursing school, I had a, a few friends that were in the military. One of them was uh, one of the first uh, women to attend West Point, one of the first few classes, and uh Another was a friend that was in ROTC with me at Pacific Lutheran University. And they kind of gave me a little more exposure um, to the military and took me to a few events. And I got, I got pretty excited about it because I, at the time I, I had gotten my first job as an operating room nurse, and I thought, you know, why am I staying here in this same town? that I, you know, I, I, I was born in this hospital. I don't want to die in this hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I could do this same job, but I could do it for my country and do it for those that were willing to go out and, you know, at times make the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something uh, really intriguing to me that, that I felt very passionate about. What, what about, what about you know, um, coming out and coming out to yourself? Um, it, it, I know that what what led to kind of your case was that you were engaged in in sexual conduct with another woman while 
um, serving for our country. But before that, if people don't know your coming out story. Uh, well, my, my coming out story, that was a very long process. Um, in fact, I was still, I was still uh, really trying my hardest to uh, be straight or fall in love with somebody of the opposite gender, <laughs> even when I was in the military. I, I was just trying very, very hard to be, quote, normal. Um, but, you know, the realization is, you know, I am who I am. And, um, and at about the same time, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was coming into play. And I thought, okay, I'm just not going to tell. I, I can stay. I'm not going to tell. This is really who I am. Um, coming out, out, <laughs> didn't really happen until I was turned in by a third party. And that was after 18 years. Right, right, which is which is all included in the book, by the way. Uh, Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Major Margaret Witt, who has a book out, it's coming out, actually, an upcoming memoir, T- Tell, Love, Defiance, and the Military Trial at the Tipping Point for Gay Rights. Um, I think it's timely to talk about the fact that um, history is repeating itself in a lot of ways. Um, and, and by that, I mean, we've now got a president who wants to ban transgender military service members from serving after the Pentagon had already gone through a thorough report, you know, saying that there that there isn't it wasn't going to be a burden on the American government, on, the, you know, the military and its process. Um, Major Margaret Witt has a landmark case that in my, you know, for for a lot of people, that pretty much led to uh, the to the government to end "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." So let's get to the heart of our discussion, Margie, and and talk about you know the fact that you were in a relationship uh, or or not. Uh, I don't, you know, maybe you can describe it for yourself with someone else, and it was someone of the same sex, another woman, and and while you're serving, and you had just mentioned it, somebody had outed you. Uh, what happened? Um, actually, I was uh, outed via email to um, <laughs> one of the Joint Chiefs, so it came down from the top, and um, then I was put under investigation uh, after that happened. Um, basically, just absolutely blindsided, I was walked down the hall by my commander to talk to somebody and was scooted in the door, and, and there was a JAG officer who basically said, you know, what what is your relationship with this person? And uh, that's where it all started. They said, you know, you can make a statement and you'll be gone in two weeks. And I thought, um, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. And that that didn't seem like a good option to me. I'd given 18 years you know, of my life to doing what I loved with, you know, a military family that I loved. Right. Now, you know, what are what were the um, I guess what was the environment like for you, even with Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And we know the harmful effects of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it actually, you know, was kind of the the reverse, even though, you know, President Clinton at the time, um, President Bill Clinton, um, you know, tried to defend his his policy. Really, it was under his administration that this was passed. Uh, kind of, you know, tell us how Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the policy affected you. Um, uh, and, and where I'm going with this is that a lot of military officials after the fact, when don't ask, don't tell was repealed, had talked about the fact that serving with their fellow service members, it wasn't, it wasn't always, um, so homophobic. And in fact, you know, most people found that, uh, people knew they just, they were supportive, but it was like a hidden thing. So I wanted to get your, your own perspective and your experiences leading up to, uh, being honorably discharged or discharged, right? right. Um, well, you know, we we would gays in the military would kind of create their own underground network where we we knew each other were generally by context with other people, but you you still would never actually say the words. Um, but it don't ask, don't tell created this real problem with being yourself with everyone and making those connections with your straight counterparts, um, people that you wanted to get to know better and that wanted to get to know you. Um, and it, 
particularly in my last reserve unit. You know, we spent years and a lot of time together, and you'd have to put up these walls to basically keep people at a certain distance. And it, it, it was very stressful at times, and, and it made you seem more, much more aloof than you truly were. Um, you, you just had to create this barrier. You know, when and once that's down and you can be yourself and allow those people, you, you can come into each other's lives as, as, as people, it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. I, and I have a whole lot more questions. I actually want to get to the, the case, the arguments, and this this conversation of how history is somewhat repeating itself. And, you know, the president has been sued um, by the same organization and Lambda Legal and NCLR all joining in on the, these lawsuits and suing the president for trying to ban transgender military service members. So I think it'd be good to go back and uh, especially talk about the case that's included in your upcoming memoir. But we're going to take a quick break right now. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, hump day, August 30th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The Michelle Meow Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Our special guest on the phone has a new memoir coming up called Tell, Love, Defiance, and the Military Trial at the Tipping Point for Gay Rights. And that is Major Margaret Witt. Margie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Or I should say welcome back. Uh, <laughs> we take our last and final break. And so right before the break, you know, I, I, I said that I wanted to talk specifically about the case, your landmark case. It was your you and the, the ACLU suing the government that pretty much led to the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, history is repeating itself now, and we're going to see that the president is being sued for his directive to ban transgender military service members. In your own opinion or your thoughts, what do you think was the uh, strongest or the, the, what, the, the arguments that were effective were in your landmark case? Well, the, the whole kind of foundation of um, the case against me was the whole policy of don't ask, don't tell was that we negatively affect unit cohesion and morale. And like you say, history is repeating itself, and that's being pulled out again. Um, President Trump actually said that, that 
transgender troops affecting a cohesion morale. Um, my case, everything was really, really founded on that, and we ended up, and it was re- the members of my unit, um, people that I had served with, stepping forward and giving testimony that this was absolutely false. Um, you know, of course, we were only looking at it in my case, but it's so true, and it, it was just a false, uh, a law based in false pretense. You know, you can't just make a blanket statement against a whole group of people saying that you affect unit cohesion and morale in a negative way. Um, and that was the, the major law that we, we established is, is that, you know, you had to go and prove that, 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 you know, a certain individual just because they are gay or they now transgender affect unit cohesion and morale in a negative way. Um, and we kind of blew that out of the water. What do you think, you know, for um, President Trump here, I mean, he doesn't seem to actually care uh, what, what previous cases or challenges or success we've had in this country. And I think that he he knows very well what he's doing is discriminatory. Um, and uh, I don't think he, he actually cares. But what do you think is in store for President Trump and his legal cases now with this decision he's making to ban uh, transgender military officials? I think he's, he's creating an absolute uh, mess. Um, I think he's up against it legally. Um, you mentioned the folks that had, had filed suit. The ACLU has, ACLU has also filed suit against him. Um, you know, the records in, in past court cases, including mine, are going to come up. Um, they're going to have a tough time. Transgender service members have been serving all along, and they've been serving openly you know, for at least the past year. And they've supposedly been studying this, and I have not heard one negative thing until the tweet. And I think that was just an absolute bombshell to the folks that are serving. And it's just demoralizing, distracting, and and distressing, really. You know, when we mentioned that uh, uh, how many people, you know, there there were a lot of reports from news and, and the media talking about, well, how many people are actually serving who are transgender and how, how does this even, you know, impact uh, the military in a lot of ways? When we talked about it from a spending perspective, I mean, it's very little for what the president is saying, that it, it's become a distraction, how much money that would go into providing care for transgender military officials. So we've squashed that you know, fake news, if you want to call it that, here on the show. But when we talk about LGBT in general, as far as military service members who have served, who currently serve, I mean, this isn't just a a, a small number of the military. I had mentioned it before that, you know, besides sexual orientation, gender identity doesn't necessarily factor into the the fact that this community of military officials who put their bodies, their life on the line to serve the country. Um, you know, what can you say about that? Uh, about about the so about the about just members? you know the the fact that it, we're not necessarily talking about a small tiny community. Some people try to downplay the fact that you know LGBTQ service members in the military are so small. We don't need to spend all this time and attention or resources in oh. making sure that they've got an equal opportunity to serve our country. Right. I mean, even tremendous numbers. I mean, you look at the numbers of of. Um, just lesbian and gay soldiers that have been thrown out of, you know, over 100,000 even before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, and you look at, at the what we've put into those service members in, in, in training and education. I mean, it's continuously ongoing within the military. Um, and it, it it's astounding to to me to think that you're going to throw out some small number for medical care, um, and 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 this whole statement is is based on this falsehood that you know transgender individuals are all go through you know major operations, which is is not true at all, and 
serving in the military, you are granted that right for medical care, and that's between you and your doctor. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that, Margie. I got a couple questions left for you as we're winding down on the show, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, now that we're here, we're here at this challenging time. Um, some of us might not have, have, have thought we'd get to this place of regression, uh, but we are. We're here, and I think we're ready for the fight, and we're probably stronger, definitely smarter, because we've had cases like yours, so we've learned, um, and, we, and we've fought them, and we've been successful, so we're ready for this fight with the president. Uh, but what, what do you want people you know, to get from your book? Um, I don't think that it's, it's just LGBTQ people who are going to pick up the book. I think it's going to be everyone. What would you like for people to walk away with after reading Tell? Well, it, it's a human interest story. It's a love story. Um, it's a David and Goliath story in a female version. Um, it hopefully is an inspirational story. Um, it's going to show that, you know, we're not changing things just as some kind of social experiment. It's, it's recognizing human value and, and leading by example and, that's really what we need to do. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I can't wait to read it. And uh, it's definitely going to be my weekend read. I was sad that I got it too late. I usually like to read it all before I go into an interview. Um, uh, the The biggest part is just kind of, you know, you fighting for for change, but really also for love. And so our last question to you is, now what are you up to? Um, well, I've been married since 2012. Yay! Yay, yes. Uh, been together, what is it, 14 years now? Um, life is wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm still with um, Absolute Woman of My Dreams, and I am actually working uh, for the VA, so I'm still working for my fellow veterans and service members, and I'm proud to do so. Major Margaret Witt, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for your courage and thank you for changing, you know, and making history and for making it possible for so many people to serve. Uh, Yes, we are up for a fight for our transgender brother and sisters, but thank you for the reminder of your landmark case that we can and we will be using a lot of the uh, successful arguments in our upcoming fight. Uh, So thank you also for joining us here on the program. Thank you very much for having me and my heart goes out to those members of the military that are going through this, um, and I'd just like them to stand tall, and we're with you. Thanks, Michelle. Pick up the book when it comes out. It's called Tell, Love, Defiance, and the Military Trial at the Tipping Point for Gay Rights by Major Margaret Witt. It comes out mid-October-ish, so make sure you look out for that. We'll also post the information up on uh, our social media and my website. Um that was uh, it was a great show. This is a great show. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity just to speak with everyone and interview some incredible, awesome folks. As you can see here, you know, us LGBTQ people, we are living history. So many young people like to ask me, like, well, where's the data for this and where's the data for that? And I have to remind them, you know, the movement as far as the equal rights movement, sure, it may have officially started you know, years and years and years and years ago, but the only real true data that's being allowed or people have started to include, especially in pop culture, TV, uh, news broadcasts, and um, even books and all that stuff has really been focused on Stonewall and beyond. So you're really looking at, what, about 50 years? And that's just not enough. That's not enough to collect it all. And, And just as Major Margaret Witt uh, had used as far as reference to her trial, it's a tipping point. I think that that's where we're at, a tipping point. Just a reminder to everyone, there are so many people affected by Hurricane Harvey. The best advice that I can give you right now, if you want to give, if you want to volunteer, you want to be a part of giving back, is to find out the information and what makes you feel good, go for it. I certainly don't want to sit here and tell you how to help somebody. Um, You know, yes, there are problems. Yes, Texas and their elected officials had made some bad decisions politically that have put them in in a bad place now. But I don't think that now 
is the time to lecture anybody about who they voted for or how they got these guys into office. Now is the time to be an American, to be a human and save another person's life. So make sure you figure it out on your own, kind of where you want to go. Personally, I think food banks are good to give to um, anything that's local or that's there. And the Houston local uh, government has put up a foundation that you can go on the website and directly donate there if you don't feel comfortable donating to a large organization. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, right here on Progressive Voices. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.